0: Welcome to the Archmi podcast, featuring our senior customer trainer, Blaine Rada. Arch Mortgage Insurance Company, or Archmi, is a leading provider of mortgage insurance, or MI, in the United States. Our competitive pricing tool, Archmi RateStar, is the leading risk-based pricing platform in the industry, providing rates based on a thorough understanding of the underlying risk. Here's your host, Blaine Rada. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Blaine
1: Rada with ArchMI. These podcasts are an opportunity for me to share some of the perspective that I've gained after over 30 years of experience in the mortgage industry. But my goal is to really help you do a couple of things. One is to separate yourself from the competition to form some sort of differentiation between you and all of the other choices that people have in choosing a mortgage lender. As far as some of the things that you can expect, they are unscripted, so it's kind of a stream of consciousness, if you will. I've got ideas I'd like to share, and I just try to make them as, as organized and as valuable as possible, but I'm not reading off a script, so I'm never quite sure exactly what I'll cover or how long it might take. And uh, there tends to be a lot of content. That just is my style. Whenever I'm asked to speak to a group, my challenge is always, how do I put into the time I'm given all of the things that I could share? So uh, there's a lot of content in these, and you may find that listening to them more than once or uh, taking notes along the way is helpful. And they, they generally have a sales focus. While there are certainly lots of other people in our industry that can gain insights from these Um, I feel as if I'm speaking primarily to people that would call themselves salespeople. And so with that in mind, you need to understand my worldview about sales. And I talk about this at the beginning of every podcast so that you know a little bit about this guy that you're going to listen to for the next little bit. My worldview about selling is that selling is not about getting the sale, or at least it shouldn't be, and that selling really is an act of service. Selling is finding out if you are the best fit for your customer whoever it is that you're defining as your customer. And the reason that I have that worldview is that I believe that when you focus on the act of getting the deal, that leads to things like manipulation. But if you focus on establishing if you're the best fit, you are approaching people as an act of service and empathy. And you'll still get plenty of results. You'll still make plenty of sales. But I just think that's a a healthier way to look at this business called selling. All right. So there's going to be lots of information in any of these podcasts. And the challenge is, how do you turn that information into insights? What do you get from it that is specifically relevant to you? And of course, I can't help you with that. I can pass on the information, but I can only encourage you to look for insights, your own insights. And most importantly is that you turn that insight into some type of impact. That there's something that you do differently that creates a different result for you as a result of having taken the time to listen to this podcast. If we can achieve that together, that's a f- great use of time. Uh, so I'm going to challenge you to do that, to be an active listener and to take ownership of the, of the content that you hear. All right, so let's get on with today's, today's episode. Today is really about what I call becoming an influencer. So it's a little bit different. I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach with this than than I've done in many of the other podcasts. In fact, I, just to be honest with you, I'm not even exactly sure how I'm going to put all these ideas together. You know, this is one of those things where the more I've thought about it, Uh, the more confused I've become. In other words, more preparation probably would not lead to a better executed podcast. So I'm not issuing a warning by any means and saying, hey, maybe you shouldn't listen to this one. (laughs) I do think you will find value in it. In fact, I'm pretty confident you will. But I'm just not exactly sure how I'm going to position this information because we're talking about something that's hard to define. We're talking about paradigms. What an interesting word, paradigms. As you can tell if you've listened to more than one of these podcasts, I'm fascinated by words. I'm I'm fascinated by the meanings of words, the use of words. And so when you hear the word paradigm, and it's one word, right? I'm not talking about the two words as in pair of dimes. I would be having two dimes in your pocket. I'm talking about the single word paradigm. Like, we've heard the word, but do we really even have a sense of what it is? And it actually is a very powerful word. A paradigm is a thought pattern. And so what I want to suggest here is that one of the greatest opportunities that we have in, in business and in life is to influence people's paradigms, to influence people's patterns of thought, now, some people would would use the word persuasion, especially in a sales context. You, you know, you hear hear a lot of people when they talk about sales talking talking about you know skills of persuasion. It's probably the same thing. I just feel the word persuasion sounds a little bit more like manipulation, right? It's almost like getting people to do something they don't want to do, as opposed to influence. To influence someone is to affect their thought patterns or their paradigms, and whether that ends up you know, working out in your favor because you've helped influence their thinking to your point of view, that may be the outcome or it may not. But again, the goal should be, are we just elevating people's skills and, and putting our information out there as a, as a as a source of service or as an act of service. And that's certainly in the in the spirit that I give these. I'm never telling anybody on these podcasts how to do what you do. I have ultimate respect for the fact that you're probably very good at what you do already. If you're taking the time to listen to podcasts, that tells me that you are good at what you do. Um, or I suppose you could be very new and you're just trying to learn everything you can. But most of the people that invest time to learn about a topic are already actually very smart about that topic. So I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm certainly giving you and encouraging you some things to think about. So there's a couple of things on my bio, speaking of this word influence, right? When I speak at an event and I have this opportunity to influence an audience of people, there's a couple of things on my bio that when people read them – it, it creates curiosity, and they're not even quite sure how to react. One of them is that I am a member of Mensa. I don't know if you've heard of Mensa, but Mensa is the high IQ society. And you have to, you have, to have a certain level of IQ, um, which is primarily uh, assessed by taking a test. In fact, you have to be in the top 2% of IQ to be in the Mensa society. Now, please, before, before you think another thought, do not be impressed. First of all, IQ is only one one measure of intelligence. There are many different types of intelligence, and honestly, I can tell you that having an IQ uh, does not necessarily even mean that you could find your way out of a cardboard box, okay? No, no insult to other fellow mensons out there, but it is just one particular form of intelligence that often has nothing to do with common sense, by the way. So the fact that I, you know, belong to this group of people, um, if anything, it, it's, a, it's a curiosity point, right? But, but don't, don't be impressed or intimidated by, the, by that fact. But it does kind of like raise eyebrows, like, oh, so you're very smart, Right, like, what is that? What is and what value then does that have to the audience that now knows that I'm supposedly very smart? Um, and the other thing that's on my bio that people find very fascinating is that I was named America's Greatest Thinker in 2005. America's Greatest Thinker. Well, most people have never even heard of that. Like, well, how do you do that? And that has to do with this event called the Great American Think Off, and I'm going to try to weave that into our conversation today as I talk about influence. The reason that I'm going to, you know, and I'm bringing these things up and I'm telling you about some of the things that are part of my past and on my bio is that the communication skills that are required for instance to win the Great American Think Off right i mean they they really should change it to not being america's greatest thinker they should change it to america's greatest communicator because in order to win that event you not only have to be a good thinker right and be considered smart but you have to be able to put your ideas out there in a way that that influence that, that changes paradigms, right? That changes people's thought patterns so that they will actually choose you as America's greatest thinker. And so I want to take some of the lessons that I've learned from my own experiences to help you be a person of influence. You may never be in Mensa. You may never have an interest in you know, being a part of the Great American Think-Off or be named America's Greatest Thinker. But I can take what I've learned from these experiences and I can kind of share them with you and you can work on these skills anyway, right? And, and because again, I think this opportunity to influence people is such just an amazing responsibility and one that we often don't give much thought to. So let's, let's kind of get at it. Let me tell you a little bit about the Great American Think-Off. So every year... This organization posts a question to the nation. It happens right at the very beginning of the year, January 1st. And I first heard about this organization back in 2005 when they posted this question to the nation. Competition or cooperation, what benefits society more? Competition or cooperation, which benefits society more? And just the question intrigued me. Because I had an, an, initial, an initial response like you probably are having. Oh, I think it's this. And then you think about it a little while, and then you start to think, well, okay, um, in these situations, I think it's competition. But in these other situations, I think – or you say, well, isn't it both? Isn't its not it isn't it coopetition? <laughs> Isn't it like a blend of both? Um, that's not what they're asking. They're asking you to pick a side, competition or cooperation, Which benefits society more? That was just the question for 2005. Every year is a different question. But I was intrigued with not only the question, but the challenge of not only deciding, but then if you want to enter the event, what you do is you write an essay and you were limited to 750 words. And even if you don't like writing, 750 words goes by really quickly. Like you have to make a very compelling case in only 750 words to try to persuade people, try to influence people that your point of view is is a valid one, right? Is a strong one. So I, I threw my hat over the fence, right? I, I I decided, hey, I'll 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 give it a try. What the heck? It's an interesting challenge. And I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of essays they get in a given year. It probably depends on the question and how interested people are in it. But the committee chooses four of these essays as finalists. Two people that chose, in my year, cooperation, and two people that chose competition. In other words, these were the two best of each side that made their case, and they invite those four people to a live event that happens every year in mid-June in this little rural town in northern Minnesota called New York Mills. Not New York City. Some people get confused and think this takes place in New York City. No, it's New York Mills, Minnesota. Okay, so I'll get more into the details of how this all turned out for me. But I want to share with you that one of the things that I got from this experience, one of many things that I got from this experience, was really understanding that there are three parts to influential communication. And when I say the word communication in this podcast, I'm referring to all the ways that you communicate. So there's obviously you know verbal communication when you're talking to people, either face-to-face or on the phone. Uh, there's emailing, there's texting. I mean, in all the ways that we communicate with each other, that's what I'm referring to. And there's three really influential parts to influential communication, right? So if you want your communication to influence others, the three parts that I kind of discovered for myself are three E's, three words that all begin with the letter E. And I tend to think in these ways just because it makes it easier for me to remember concepts. So one is expertise, The other is eloquence. And the third is engagement. And let me briefly describe what each of those are. We'll get into more detail here in a minute. But briefly, expertise is having something worthwhile to say. In fact, if you just remember these three points, these three words and what they mean, you'll get tremendous value from this podcast. Expertise is having something worthwhile to say. Any any influence starts with, you've got something worthwhile to say. And I'm going to give you some suggestions on how we actually do that, okay? The second E was eloquence. Eloquence is saying it well. To be influential, you have to find a way to say what you know in in a way that is received, right? Say it well, to be articulate. And we'll talk more about that too. But ultimately, maybe one of the most important E's is engagement. Engagement is where you're involving the person that's receiving your communication. So if you're talking to someone, it's the listener. If you've written something, it's the reader. Without engagement, there's no influence, right? Part of what I'm trying to accomplish with these podcasts is is helping you to think through things that maybe you haven't thought about before or thought about in a particular way before. That's my form of engagement right? Because we're not face-to-face. We're not able to have a conversation back and forth. So I'm trying to have something worthwhile to say. I'm trying to say it well. But most importantly, I'm trying to create some type of engagement, which in this format would be getting you to think in a way that maybe you haven't thought about before. And that's where you find the value. And that's where maybe your patterns of thought change and you change your paradigms. And so I potentially had the ability to influence you. I'm just trying to use the podcast as kind of a, a little example of what I'm talking about. So I would like to to walk you through some tips or suggestions in all three of those categories of expertise, eloquence, and engagement. And I'm going to give you advice that is not common. I'm not going to give you the standard communication skills training stuff. So if you've been a part of Toastmasters or you've gone to presentation skills training, you know, you've heard all kinds of things about do's and don'ts and shoulds and shouldn'ts, that's not what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about things that are rarely talked about, because I think that's where the real value is. So let's talk about expertise. Expertise is having something worthwhile to say. So in the think Off, that was writing the essay. right? Writing the essay, picking aside competition or cooperation, picking aside and writing a 750 word essay was my attempt at showing expertise on that on that point of view. So they're only going to pick four, two on one side and two on the other. So, I mean, really, they're only going to pick two that are on the same side of the debate as you're on, which really means that that essay has to be something that, you know, gets attention, that influences thinking. So I struggled with this because I struggled with the question. I mean, the more I thought about it, the more conflicted I became. And so I started to do some things that I realized were, in hindsight, very smart. And these are the suggestions I'd like to give you. If you want to develop expertise, if you want to have something worthwhile to say, first of all, be a better listener. I know that sounds kind of crazy. I'm talking about having something worthwhile to say, and my first suggestion is be a better listener? <laughs> like like, not say something? Right. I started asking people, what do you think about this question? What's your point of view? What, what, which would you pick if you were picking? See, other people have experiences that you don't have. And the act of listening means that you can soak in all these other people's experience. What a fast track to developing expertise, right? I cannot imagine a faster way to develop expertise than hearing other people who have their own expertise share that with you. But you have to be willing to ask and listen to hear what other people have to say. Now, ultimately, I'm still going to come to my own conclusion, and I mean, I honestly could have probably written an essay on either side of the question. I was that conflicted. I did ultimately just by a little bit edge over to one side. I'm not going to tell you what side that is just yet. In fact, maybe I won't even tell you at all. I'll, I'll decide by the time we get to the end. Um But it was really hard for me to answer that question. So I started asking other people and learned that listening to other people's experiences is a really interesting way to develop a particular type of expertise. Okay. The other thing that I appreciated in listening to other people, so the other skill I want to suggest to you, is developing diversity of thought. That becoming an expert to having something worthwhile to say means that you appreciate diversity of thought. Now, that's kind of counterintuitive because most of us don't do that naturally. Most of us don't purposely get around people who think and look at the world differently than we do because it's uncomfortable. I mean, especially certain topics, you know, politics and religion, stuff like that. That's, I mean, literally some families will not even discuss these things if there's a family gathering because they know it's just going to get ugly, right? Right. So I'm suggesting you do that, that you put yourself in situations where you're around people who don't look at the world like you do. I know it might be uncomfortable at first, but gathering diversity of thought, gathering diverse perspectives will help you clarify what you believe that's, see, that's the reason why you want to do it. It's not so that other people can change your mind or convince you of their way. It's so you can actually come up with your own conclusion more clearly because your ideas have been challenged. That's the benefit of diversity of thought. Because I have this belief that you don't really know what you believe unless those beliefs have been challenged. In other words, if all you do is surround yourself with like-minded thinkers and you're all looking at things the same way, how do you even know that that's right? Right, Like, how would you know if you've never had that challenged by a conflicting point of view? So that's what I mean by diversity of thought. Um, I think it was General Patton that is known for saying something along the lines of, if everyone is thinking alike, then somebody isn't thinking. Wow. For a military general... Right? In the military, where it's all about conformity and following orders, for a military general to say, if everyone is thinking alike, then somebody isn't thinking, I think that's pretty profound. Okay, so that's all I'm going to say about expertise. I picked a side. I wrote my essay. I did end up getting picked as a finalist. So I got an all expense paid trip to New York Mills, Minnesota, <laughs> coming from Chicago, you know, not that far away from Minnesota, not, not that big of an, you know, of an expense on their part. And I think there was like a $500 honorarium, you know, that you just got paid as a finalist. Um, but I got to go, you know, to this place I'd never gone before called New York Mills, Minnesota. And now there's this debate. And the debate is in two rounds. The first round, you're debating the person that picked the same side as you. And the reason that you're doing that, even though it's honestly very difficult to debate someone who believes what you believe, the reason that you're doing that is so that the audience can determine which of the two of you makes the stronger argument for that case, for that side. And then they'll have the other two people that picked the other side debate each other, and the audience will choose who they thought made the most compelling case. And then those two winners that now are on opposite sides of the debate will ultimately have this conversation, ultimately have this debate in front of the audience. So now we're talking about eloquence, right? This debate, which I had never engaged in in my life. I mean, I've been a professional speaker and a trainer, Now, this goes back to 2005, so I hadn't been doing speaking that long at that point, but debating, being up on a stage with these bright lights in my face and all these people I can't see in the audience, I can't connect with them in any way, was very uncomfortable for me. In fact, I could not wait for the first round of that debate to be over. So after the first round, you've debated the person that agrees with you, and then they take a break so they can count up all the votes. My mother and sister had actually come up. They lived in Wisconsin at the time. They drove up to Minnesota to cheer me on. My sister comes up to me during the break and says to me, wow, that was really hard. I'm not sure who to vote for. <laughs> All thanks for coming. I really appreciate my family being here. But you know what? How do you pick two people that both agree on the same side of the question that both are articulate that both have eloquence that both have demonstrated expertise it is a difficult choice to make even if it's your family member that's trying to make the choice so i at least hoped if she voted for the other person that my mother voted for me and at least it would have canceled each other out all right so how how can i help you with suggestions for saying it well right that's what eloquence is all about saying it well again i'm going to give you some counterintuitive advice Pause. That's right. Pause. The silence between the words actually can have a lot of significance, can be very eloquent to pause. President Lincoln is known for saying, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak out and remove all doubt, right? Better to be silent and remain a fool, or be thought, excuse me, better to be, I want to get this right. It's Abraham Lincoln. Better to be silent, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak out and remain all doubt. All right. But besides pausing, three C's. Again, this is just the way my mind works. I put things into groups and make them in common with each other so I can remember them. Three C's, three words that begin with C, concise, To be eloquent, you need to be brief. I struggle with this. I always think I say things in many more words than I need to. And I realize later, I could have said that in a lot fewer words. But to truly be eloquent, you want to be concise, right? Be brief. People's attention spans are short. You also want to be confident. The best way to be confident in the way that you communicate is to be prepared, that you've thought it through, that you're not just firing off communication immediately, which is kind of, you know, that's what we do now. We, we get an email or we get a text and we're just like firing off replies immediately. We're not taking the time to prepare our thinking. And sometimes that affects, you know, how compelling it is. And the third C would be to be conversational, which basically means you're comfortable. You're having a conversation. So even though I was horribly uncomfortable in this debate format, I tried to have an organized conversation. Now that, that, that almost sounds like a conflict. Organized means prepared and well thought out. Conversation implies extemporaneous. I tried to meet somewhere in the middle. I tried to have my thoughts organized and have done my preparation. But when the time came to speak, I wanted it to be a conversation. An organized conversation is the best way I can describe that. And I won that first round. I was stunned. I was stunned. So now, now I have to go into the final round of the debate against this guy from, uh, his name was Angelo, and his parents were immigrants that, uh, you know, arrived in New York City. And this guy was a character. I mean, he had the audience wrapped around his finger. He was just, he's, he actually thought when he entered the event that it was in New York City. That's one of the reasons he signed up, because he thought he was going to New York City, not New York Mills, Minnesota. In fact, he was a professor of English composition at the University of Minnesota. And, and so he thought he was getting this trip, you know, out of Minnesota to New York City. He also just sat down and, like, wrote his initial essay, you know, just, like, sat down and wrote it in 30 minutes. You know, I'll just sit down and write this, write this thing. It ends up being a finalist. I mean, it's like, oh, my gosh. I, I worked on my essay for weeks crafting every word. And this guy just sat down in 30 minutes and wrote it. So this is who I'm up against. And that's when the third E came into play. We've talked about expertise. We've talked about eloquence. Now I'm going to talk about engagement. So who gets to pick who is America's greatest thinker? The audience. Which means if you do not engage them in some way, why would they possibly pick you? Right? I'm a trainer by nature. So I just decided to relax. I just decided to stop being stressed, to to let my discomfort wash away. Just have a good time. Just do what you do. I never in a million years would have thought I would have gotten to that point in this event to begin with. So just share your thoughts, Blaine. Just, you know... Be in love with the audience, right? Every time I'm speaking to a group, even on these podcasts, I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm in love with these people. I have ideas I want to share that I hope benefit them in some way. I don't mean romantic love, right? That'd be weird. I'm just talking about I've got a message to share that that, that I love and I have enough love for humanity that I, I want to share it with humanity and just relax, right? So engagement is about involving the reader, the listener. Now, we don't have a lot of good examples of this. I mean, if you turn on talk radio, if you turn on uh, cable news programs, now, granted, a lot of a lot of programs that are called news programs are really probably more opinion programs. Um, you know, we could debate semantics about that. But what you see is argument. What you see, what they call debate is people talking over each other, yelling at each other. That was not at all what my experience in the think-off was. Angelo and I were actually not very far off in our thinking. Even though he had picked one side of the question and I had picked another, when you really got down to it, it was very little that separated us. And actually, one of the takeaways I got from the event is there really is very little that separates any of us. I mean, we tend to think in a lot of ways that we're divided or have such different opinions about things. But in actuality, when you really start to refine what you really, truly believe about things, you'll realize that we're actually not that far apart. It kind of is more sensational you know, to make it sound like we are, but we, but we really, really aren't. So we don't get these great examples of what a true debate should be. And I didn't really know how to debate because I'd never done it before. But here are the things that I did that I think could be effective for you. Um, I told stories. I think stories are a very effective way to engage. I mean, I'm kind of doing that in this podcast. And you may or may not find any interest in going through the Great American Think-Off yourself. I, I would highly encourage you to check it out. But it may not be what you're interested in at all. But I would, you know, I'm using it as an in, to make points, right, that would be less interesting if I wasn't telling you the story. And I talked about this time when I was in kindergarten, and it was the first lesson that I received in the downside of competition. Okay, so I've just given it away. (laughs) I ended up siding with cooperation as being what benefits society more. And my first lesson in the negative aspects of competition had to do with the way that I behaved in kindergarten and how that led to my being taken to the bathroom every day to take a bite out of a bar of ivory soap and chew it. Now, they certainly would never do something like that in schools today, but that probably was not actually that unheard of way back then, although my mother did pull me out of that kindergarten when she realized what was happening. Um... But that's a story that, that people have a reaction to, right? And so I, I told stories. That's a good way to be engaging. Um, I tried to just be present. I just tried to be there in the room at that moment with these people, and not stuck up in my head or thinking about what am I going to say next. And that's another way to be very engaging in your, in your especially in-person communication, is to just be there, present with people. Um, I I used emotion. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that we actually be emotive, like that we cry. Or I actually lost a Toastmasters speech contest. Um, I, w- I used to be in Toastmasters years ago because I wanted to start getting feedback on, you know, what do people think of my presenting? And I wasn't, I wasn't uncomfortable presenting, but I never got feedback from people. And so I wanted to get feedback. And I joined Toastmasters and I entered their speech contest and I was all in. And the first time I was in their international speech contest, I, uh, I lost to a woman that cried During her presentation. She was talking about something that was very emotional and she broke down and cried and people in the audience were crying. I'm not talking about that, but I am saying there are ways that you can have people have an emotional response or reaction to something. So for instance, I had done my homework. I knew that this audience of several hundred people from Northern Minnesota um, would likely be older and they would be probably a little more conservative in their worldview um, so I brought up things like President John F. Kennedy, right, bring up a president. I thought they, would, they could relate to that. I talked about how John F. Kennedy in his inauguration speech said that together there's nothing we cannot do, right? But divided, there's nothing we can do. And I suggested that that implies that cooperation, you know, is, is the higher value. Um, I, I talked about uh, how competition brings out the beast in us, but cooperation brings out the best in us right? People have kind of an emotional response to those words. And ultimately what I did is I equated being cooperative with an act of love or kindness. In other words, I equated that cooperation was loving. And therefore, if the debate was between loving and not loving, that there was no debate. And Angelo told me afterwards that as soon as he heard me say that, he knew it was over because who's going to vote against love? Now, I didn't do that to be clever. I, I didn't do that, you know, as a gimmick. I simply was expressing my thoughts. But they had an emotional, con, you know, content, if you will. They, they created an emotional reaction. Now, you may think a lot of these things that I've talked about are common sense, I actually think they're uncommon. I think common sense is not common practice. And I can tell you as a Mensa member, that common sense is not common practice in my own life. You know, I used to do triathlons years ago. You you have to train for swimming, biking, running. And so I'd get up on a Saturday morning and I'd go ride my bike. And then after a while, I'd park the bike somewhere and I'd go run and then I'd come back to the bike and I'd ride back home and I was you know, practicing multiple disciplines. And I remember one morning in particular, I chained my bike up to a concrete post. It was in front of this industrial building. And there were these concrete posts that they have in front of the big bay doors so that when trucks are backing up, they don't like hit the wall. These posts kind of guide the trucks, you know, when they're backing up. It was a really solid concrete post about six inches in diameter. And I thought, what a secure place to lock my bike because it's this concrete post. And what I didn't realize that my wife pointed out to me later was that the post was only four feet high which means if somebody wanted the bike, all they had to do was lift it off the post, right? No common sense whatsoever. So thank you very much, Mensa, for my high IQ recognition. But that doesn't mean that I even know how to chain up a bike when I'm out for a workout. Okay. So common sense is not common practice. All right. So some key takeaways, you know, think before you speak. That sounds kind of so uh, trite. But I really do think, think before, and I'm saying speak as in all forms of communication. Before you send out a text, before you send out an email, uh, before you click reply, before you respond to someone or leave a message on their voicemail, give yourself a moment to think. I came across an advertisement in a magazine uh, years ago that had this big word in bold letters at the top called think. And as I read through the ad, it said things like, few things possess more power than a thought. Because... Wherever thought happens, big ideas follow. Minds become enlightened. Knowledge grows. And people discover new ways to unlock their potential. So start thinking. And I really think when it comes to communication, that's got to be one of the best pieces of advice that I can give you, is to just give yourself permission to think before you do it. And also remember that your communication is not about you. What you put out there, you know, in your emails, and your texts, and your voicemails, and when you're talking to people face to face, it always needs to be about them. It needs to to speak to their needs, their wants, their desires, their fears, their concerns, their aspirations. Um, it's not about you. Um, in no way, even though I may talk about things that happened to me, am I ever speaking because it's about me? right? I'm speaking as an act of service for you. And that has a much different impact than people who present themselves and it's all about them. You know, perhaps you'll check into the Great American Think Off. I would encourage you to go to thinkoff.org and look at the questions that have been posed over the 25 plus years that they've been doing that event and challenge yourself. Uh, It's probably actually, well, depends on the time of year that, that you're listening to this podcast. It may be too late by the time you're listening to this in any given year, uh, to actually enter that year. But I would encourage you to wrestle with the questions, uh, to write an essay, to be bold enough to submit it. And who knows? I mean, maybe you could be named America's greatest thinker. And if that's not your desire, hopefully I've given you some things today to think about that will make your communication more influential, that will give you the ability to affect paradigms. Such an amazing and awesome responsibility. Okay, so enough said. Please take a step. Please do something with the information that you've heard today. I I mention that at the end of every podcast. I just can't reinforce that enough. Uh, Tell a friend. Make sure if you enjoy these, that you're spreading the news and letting people know that they will probably get something out of it too. And don't forget to talk with us. At Arch, we are very interested in what you have to say. How can we help you? How can we help you do more business, better business? Reach out to your account manager. And of course, if you ever have any feedback about the podcast in particular, um, from a selfish perspective, I'd love to hear about that too. So make sure you're passing that feedback along. That is it for this episode. I hope that you found your investment of time to be worthwhile.
0: This is Blaine Raida with ArchMI. Thank you for listening. Arch Capital Group Limited's U.S. mortgage insurance operation, ArchMI, is a leading provider of private insurance covering mortgage credit risk. Headquartered in Greensboro, North Carolina, ArchMI's mission is to protect lenders against credit risk while extending the possibility of responsible homeownership to qualified borrowers. ArchMI's flagship mortgage insurer, Arch Mortgage Insurance Company, is licensed to write mortgage insurance in all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and Puerto Rico. For more information, please visit archmi.com. ArchMI is a marketing term for Arch Mortgage Insurance Company and United Guarantee Residential Insurance Company. All rights reserved.